Scale Rapid is a labeling platform that delivers initial training data in a matter of hours to kickstart research projects and model development. This is the intro video on a website for a company called Scale. It's a slick website, all black with neon graphics and some really nice animations. It's easy to use, clear, and there's no bugs, at least I could find. Scale is a company that provides data sets for machine learning including for image recognition, document analysis, autonomous vehicles, for robotics, you name it. You provide the raw data, be it video, images, sound or documents, and you get it back, ready for use to develop your software. Machine learning is a type of artificial intelligence, one which underpins a huge amount of modern life. If you're using a computer, a smartphone and searching the internet, then you encounter machine learning. It really is ubiquitous. And machine learning doesn't just emerge out of the mind of technologists. It's a shared endeavor. It works a little something like this. If you want to develop, say, a piece of software that can recognize animals in images, you need a whole bunch of existing images of animals. And these need to be captioned, segmented, and annotated to a really detailed level. Your software needs to know what animals look like so that it can tell the difference between a flamingo and a pink cushion. You then use these images, known as training data, to teach your software so that when it encounters new images, it can tell the animals from the cars. But the key question is, where does this training data come from? Now there's a separate website called Remo Tasks. It's a bit clunky and quite simple. And this is a website where you can earn money for completing short tasks, like labeling images and video or transcribing audio. On Remote Tasks, it doesn't mention anywhere the name Scale, nor does the Scale website mention Remote Tasks. But the two are actually run by the same company. Scale is for customers, the tech firms that want data sets, and Remote Tasks for the workers, creating training data through labeling and annotating the raw data. Kelly Housen is the former lead researcher on the Fairwork Cloudwork project. Um, so Kelly, you were the first person who kind of introduced me to the link between Scale Rapid and Remote Tasks. Um, and I wanted to ask, how did you discover this link? So Robbie, as you know, part of what we do with Fair Work is we investigate individual platforms um, and we evaluate them against five principles of fairness and we assign them a score and we display their scores on a league table. Uh, we do this for platforms all around the world, including CloudWork. This year, um, we knew that Scale and Remo tasks were prominent platforms that fell into the category of cloud work and we put them on our list of platforms that we wanted to include in our evaluations. Um, we do some, we start with some desk research where we look into these platforms and what we found out about scale in Remo tasks was that scale didn't have an option for workers to sign up on their website interface. Remo tasks didn't have an option for clients to post jobs uh, and for workers to then accept the job. So that's the typical model we see with CloudWork platforms. Um, most of the CloudWork platforms we score have an interface that uh, is for both 
workers and clients uh, to directly connect with each other. Um, we realized this wasn't the case for scale and remote tasks. And then after a little bit more reading, we, we, we saw that they were owned by the same company, basically. So we just asked them, we reached out to them uh, and, and we asked how their model works. They confirmed that the majority of projects that come into Scale Rapid are completed by workers on Remo Tasks. So Scale Rapid is the client-facing platform. Remo Tasks is the platform that organizes and distributes the tasks to workers. Okay, so why is it that a company like Scale keeps the two sides of its business separate? When you go on Scale's website, there is no mention at all of Remo Tasks. And likewise on Remo Tasks, I couldn't find any mention of scale. And what does what does scale gain from hiding their links? What does it what do they gain from from keeping these two sides separate? Yeah, it's an interesting business model and it's less typical of what we tend to see in the cloudwork um, economy, uh, the, the standard business model tends to be platforms allowing customers to directly interact with workers, although that's not always the case. Um, there are some, there are, you know, a, a good kind of subset of platforms out there that, that separate it out. Um, but what's really unique about Scale and, and, and Remote House is, as you say, they're entirely different websites and and they don't really talk about each other um and i think part of that is that scale is exclude more exclusively working with big clients which who are usually big tech companies um and and they are wanting to carefully manage that relationship with the clients but to a certain extent that's true of other cloudwork platforms as well so there's another possibility here which is that cloudwork platforms are increasingly finding that the um, business of managing human interactions on this huge scale is is can be quite messy there are disputes there are miscommunications um, and there's also increasing awareness of the working conditions of AI production and of data production. So by separating out the production side of their business with the client facing side of their business, in some ways, scale is um, reverting to, to a more typical, um, you know, multinational uh, kind of value chain model, I guess. But they also, they're also obscuring, hiding the um, production conditions and the, and the working conditions. And what do we know about working conditions for workers on remote tasks? The short answer is we know very little. It's very difficult to identify and get in touch with workers um, to get their stories and experiences. Um, all we can really know is what is said publicly on on Remo Tasks website in their terms of use and in their FAQs, which really isn't a lot. Um, we do know that that workers are unlikely to be protected by their local statutory labor protections. 
So with that in mind, I spoke to Juan, not his real name, a university student based in Bogota, Colombia. Now Juan started doing forms of cloud work at the start of the pandemic. He was left without income opportunities when his local economy went into lockdown. And so he turned to online platform work. Juan's bilingual, but apart from that, he doesn't have many skills, having only graduated from high school a few years ago. He tried a few different platforms for transcription and translation, but he wasn't able to make it onto any of the platforms before finally he landed on remote tasks. He's currently studying for a degree and had to talk to me from his university campus, so there's a bit of background noise on his end, but hopefully it's not too distracting. So how did you get into kind of doing forms of online gig work? Where did you first find out about it? Um, and can you describe the process of what it was like starting to do this kind of work? Uh, well, uh, when the pandemic started, I had a lot of free time and I also wanted to save a lot of money. So I started uh, surfing on the internet and looking for, basically looking, typing in Google, how can I earn money online? So I find I found several places where I can make small work gigs for some money. So I started digging in it, and I started digging for a lot of web pages, a lot of places. I tried lots of them. In all of the places that I tried, half of them were not available in my country, and the other ones were not really were not my favorite ones. So that's why I spent a lot of time, I would say the past couple of years, trying to look for all of these gigs. Yeah, yeah. And, and what kind of drew you to doing this kind of work? What's specific about online gig work that made you want to try it out? Uh, I would say the fact that, first of all, I was earning money in dollars and my local currency was not... Um, what I'm trying to say is that if I earned some money in dollars, it would be good for me because of the currency uh, difference uh, in the first place. And on the second place, because I saw in all of my research in these uh, gigs that you would not need a lot of skills. For example, all of them or lots of them, uh, you needed programming skills in order to do them. And I, of course, I, I had not uh, none of that. So since I had no specific skills besides being this bilingual, uh, I tried with that. And I tried with these uh, worldwide gigs in English. Great, perfect. and. So you were working on remote tasks, um, but that wasn't the first platform that you started working on. What different platforms did you try and what was the process like that led you to remote tasks in the end? Well, I, when I was doing my research, uh, first of all, I was looking for some transcription jobs. Uh, because I saw that those were, first of all, the payment was not that bad. It was really good actually for the currency changes. And on the other side, uh, that way I could use my skills, my language skills, both in Spanish and in English. So I was researching for lots of them, and I would say lots, 
trying to apply uh, to the one that could work for me, but I did not get in any of them. I tried with Transcribe Me, I tried with Rev.com. I would say that Rev.com was the one that I tried to apply the most with several attempts. However, uh, none of them were successful. And then after uh, failed attempts with these transcription pages, because Rev was one of the only ones that was available in my country and the payment was uh, not that bad according to what I researched then I tried to do some uh, those geek places like uh, Amazon MTurk Remotusk was one of them and there were some other ones but I forgot their names I applied for other ones. I applied first of all for MTurk, but they rejected my application because they told me that they were not interested in hiring people uh, from my country at the moment. On other places, I actually got accepted, however, there were just no tasks available. I was just waiting, refreshing the page to see if there was any kind of task that I would do, but there was just nothing. And that's how I got to remote tasks. Um, I saw that they had a high volume of tasks available for you to do. So that's why I started and I sticked with them for a lot of time. And I wonder if you could describe for someone like me who's never worked on remote tasks, what's it like? What kind of work are you doing? All right. Well, most of it is for artificial intelligence training so you pretty much do all the training for all these small AI things that you see on the internet for example all these captures uh, you know so that you go to a specific place in a web page and they try to identify that you're not a robot so you have to choose some specific images uh, all these kinds of tasks plus other things is what we do or I used to do at remote tasks so things like that work properly so uh, there are several like for example image segmentation where you uh, identify all the objects in a specific image like cars, uh, the street, the sky, um, vegetation, pedestrians uh, another one was for training uh, artificial intelligence inside of cars so that they could drive themselves and there were lots and lots and lots of uh, jobs like that but most of them were for training artificial intelligence for uh, hundreds even thousands of different purposes mm. and what's it like to do this kind of work well i would say that it's kind of exhausting because uh, the first of all you get you think that the tasks are really easy that anyone can do them However, uh, because you think it's very easy, you get the most simple mistakes. So uh, that way, every time that you try a task and you think it's perfect, you realize there's a mistake uh, when you put it for approval. And when you have mistakes in your tasks, your payment will be lower. In that way, if you get too many mistakes, you will be banned for trying to keep doing this task. So it was very exhausting because, uh, and also some extra information to add is that before trying any task, you had to complete a training. 
and the trainings were long first of all second of all you forgot you forgot all the information that you had it was so much that you forgot tiny details that will become future mistakes in your tasks and therefore you would get a low rating in your task um, in your tasks and that way you would not get paid you know it was like a chain reaction and so um, it sounds like the idea that you're doing this work which is quite repetitive it's quite difficult and at the same time you've got this fear that if you make too many mistakes you're going to be kind of punitively disciplined you're going to be banned or something like that that must feel really hard it must be really hard to do that kind of work Yes, I would say that it really was. And you also feel powerless because you realize that you've made mistakes in the, in the most simple things. And uh, the page itself, all these remote task reviewers were also uh, very perceptive in that. So that way, even if you made too many mistakes, sometimes it would say a couple of mistakes. Even after four or five uh, tasks done with mistakes, they would completely ban you from there. So it was also exhausting because you spent a lot of time doing all this training so that you could get banned in just a couple of minutes and then you had to trust to start over with a different task. Uh, I wonder if we could talk about payment. Um, so could you tell us a bit about what is the rate of pay for the different tasks that you're doing on Remo tasks like? Um, is it all the same? Is there variation? Yeah, if you could tell us a bit about it. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, well, it is advertised, as far as I remember, that you could get up to 20 uh, dollars, 20 US dollars per week. And if you worked only a couple of hours, so for me that side money was very uh, was a very good deal to me. So that's why I tried. However, uh, when I was working for Bematas, it was something way different. On the first place, with all these mini tasks, the most simple tasks that would be the lowest payments. For example, some product categorization or for example something like identifying all the products inside of a receipt that they sent you. I would say that kind of for every 10 or 20 tasks that you did like that, those easy tasks, you would get about 10 cents. And how long would it take you to complete that many tasks? Uh, I would it would not take me that much amount of time however it was frustrating because of those mistakes that I made uh, every task took me about uh, one or two minutes three minutes if I was feeling um, you know kind of not confident of doing this task three minutes if I was focusing on absolutely every detail um, those were on the simple tasks. Now, on the hard tasks that I tried, one of them was the one that I explained earlier that was for training for uh, artificial intelligence so that cars could drive themselves. So this was kind of a difficult and long task that took me about 40 minutes per task. And I sent them for approval for review. Uh, they took about a week to review the task and they would pay me about 10 cents 
the highest one that uh, the highest payment that I got from any of those tasks was 50 cents. Um, and so I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about what were your earnings like for the time that you spent working on remote tasks? How long were you working for remote tasks and how many hours a week did you do roughly for remote tasks? All right, I would say that I, uh, I worked for between two and three months for remote tasks and I work an average from 10 to 20 hours per week for them. And when we talk about my earnings, it's funny because I do have that specific uh, information because they paid me weekly for uh, all the tasks that I did. And when we take a look at my PayPal account, I earned a total of $3 from all the payments that they did weekly. And so working on the platform, what was the availability of work like whilst you were working on remote tasks? Well, it was kind of a weird thing because uh, there were a lot of types of jobs available, a lot of trainings that you could do for a specific job. However, you would know how many tasks you could do at a job if it was a good one or a bad one once that you finished the, the training. So, for example, uh, there was one specific task that was this product categorization that I did the full that I did all the training and after I passed it and I started doing the tasks, there were always available tasks. Uh, I could try them at 7 in the morning, I could try them at midnight, I could um, sign in to remote tasks and at any hour and they were and they were always available. On the other hand, when I tried something like image segmentation that I had to identify all the specific objects inside of an image after I did all the training that took me about six hours, there was not a single task available. And I signed back in in different, in different hours and there was never not a single task available for this specific job. So you realize that then it was a waste of time and you got really frustrated because you spent all this time doing this training so that you would not get a single task for it. Mm. And when you're on the, on the platform itself and you're trying to think about what tasks to take and what tasks not to take, what, what factors are kind of influencing your decision and how do, you, how do you decide which jobs are worthwhile and where you're going to earn enough money? Well, it was kind of trial and error and on the other hand it kind of was not my decision either because every time that you finished a training the, the, the page gave you the option to make these tasks available for you. So there was kind of like a button that says start tasks and you just clicked on the button and it will show you any of the tasks of the trainings that you already passed. So it was pretty much like a lottery. You kind of uh, expected for a task to show up, but it, but it would show up eventually another task of a training that you already did and you did not like at all. So it was kind of not your choice. So what I did, what I tried to do to get rid of these things was that I purposely did my tasks incorrectly so that they would get me banned for doing these type of tasks. However, sometimes it did not work. 
it was kind of weird because they kind of forced they kind of forced you to do these specific tasks uh, even though you already knew that they were not a good task that you were not good at it and also that you were not getting a good pay out of this task but they would still force you to do it so to a certain extent if i'm understanding you right the platform and remote tasks are forcing you to do certain forms of jobs or maybe not forcing you but trying to make you do certain types of work am i understanding that right yes that's right when you do the training for that task thinking that it will be a good one for you and that you will succeed in this uh, you cannot just um, tell the page or tell remote tasks i don't want to do this task anymore please send me different tasks because i don't want to do this specific one anymore sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't it's up to remote tasks actually and so i wanted to ask about what it's like communicating with remote tasks um so when you have an issue or anything like that um how do you contact the platform and what is that process like are they responsive do they get back to you uh, are they helpful within their responses okay well uh some things that we can say about that is that in the first place i did not really contact support as much as i could have because i realized that the page itself had a lot of bugs so i told myself that i don't even want to try it because i know that I, it will be a frustrating uh experience I can say that this, uh, I may be wrong, however, uh, I think I'm right, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I may be wrong, but I think I'm just right. Uh, but anyways, one of them was a frequently asked questions page that I would say that it, it had a lot of information, that if you had a question about the page itself, you would find your answer there. At least uh, the couple of times that I tried, I found my answer there. So that was okay with me. On the other hand, it was also like a forum where you uh, put on your question and someone from support would reach out to you and give you the answer. But I did not try that either because my questions were not that uh, important. However, um, I don't know. I just didn't want to try it because as I told you, I knew that it was not going to end well. And finally, there were lots of Discord servers for all of these specific tasks that you had. And in these Discord servers, you would actually communicate with other taskers so that you can ask them for some support so that you can do your tasks properly. So, uh, I tried with it a couple of times, you know, asking some other taskers uh, to help me with these specific things, with some guidance, and it did not go well because uh, in the first place you have to know that every time that you do a task you have um, you have to do it under a specific amount of time so meanwhile I was waiting for an answer about my questions about my guidance on this discord server I was continuing with my task naturally and they always took between seven to eight hours to answer and I could not afford the, to wait for all this time because I had to finish the task by this amount of time. 
which is why every time that I tried, I just got a little bit frustrated because I did not know what to do. I did not know how to continue with this specific problem. And I knew that if I, I knew that if I were to go to this Discord server for some help, it would not give me the help at the time that I needed. So if I understand you correctly, what you're saying is that when you're doing the task and you need some help, you need some guidance to allow you to do that, to actually look for that help, to reach out for that guidance, the time it takes for you to get that advice, your task has already expired. You can't wait for that advice. Yes, yes, that's right. And you no longer work on remote tasks. And I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about why you stopped working on remote tasks. No. Well, the thing is that I, I quit remote tasks and started over again a couple of times because um, I quit on remote tasks several times and started over again because every time that I quit, I was just frustrated, I was annoyed, I was saying to myself, I will not try this anymore because I know that I will fail, that, I will, that it will not give me uh, at least a little bit of money so I can uh, get a little bit of my uh, college expenses. And then I came back every time telling myself that, okay, maybe if I try with a different task, things will go better. And that went on and on, I would say, three to four times um, last year and on 2020 as well. And the last time that I tried was on, Decem on last December. And that was the time that I told myself that I would not try with remote tests and I would not try with these internet gigs anymore because I've been trying for two years and the all the money that I got was three dollars. There's a video on the scale website that, that really struck me when I was watching it. It's about the company and the team that works there. I mean, it's kind of what you'd expect. Beautiful young people on MacBook Pros talking about how great the company is. And it talks about the culture, how the team will get along and how much they all enjoy working there. But it doesn't make any mention of the people working on remote tasks or ask whether they enjoy their work, whether they find it meaningful and important. And it feels so, so harsh to completely disregard the labor of people like Quan. These people are not ancillary to the company. Their labor is fundamental to its success. It lives or dies by them. I asked Kelly to watch the video and ask her thoughts. I found it really interesting and that struck me as well. The way that the company was presenting itself um, as a small startup, staffed by happy, young, dynamic creatives who are solving problems together in a small team. But we know from from Remotask's website that they have a workforce of 240,000 plus all over the world in more than 90 countries. So which of those workers are categorized as workers essentially? Which of those workers are, are employed by scale, are employed by Remotask's? Um, the answer is a, a tiny few 
Um, and it does create this dissonance of this, this small tech workforce that is actually powered by and um, managing uh, dispersed workforces of, of hundreds of thousands. To jump in there, I think it's really, I think it's really interesting about how kind of that goes in with the kind of histories of colonialism as well. And I think kind of thinking about the kinds of places where people are still able to access these kind of workplace protections, high wages, and who is totally excluded from that. And how that is still kind of very much based around these kind of legacies and histories of of, of colonial exploitation and post-colonialism as well. Um, and how those play out within the digitization of this kind of work and how cloud work seeks to, well, doesn't seek to uh, to kind of replicate them, but but it's based on that history in essence and the kind of difference in living costs and difference in kind of what wages mean and workplace protection means in different countries as well. Yeah, you're right. And I think it's very important to historicize cloud work, what we've called data value chains um, within those, those legacies of colonial extraction, the extraction of value from certain territories and and the concentration of wealth and and centers of power um there's a long there's a long and violent history of that um and more recently the the rise of global value chains and global supply chains um business process outsourcing the outsourcing of um call centers for instance to uh lower income countries and cloud work and and i think t- big tech in general presents itself as um existing outside of that uh and it's it, all global economic activity has to be viewed in in this historical context we've done quite a lot of research in the last couple of years about the dynamics of how value is created in cloud work networks by workers in um, the global south and then captured by uh, powerful companies in the global north. Um, And it's because, both because workers are predominant, cloud workers are predominantly based in the global south. Um, So the majority of cloud work gets done in the global south, but it's actually more complicated than that. Um, we know that there's a huge amount of unpaid labor that gets performed on cloud work platforms. And this is um, part of how cloud work platforms are set up. It's part of their business model. It stems from this oversupply of labor. Um, workers are constantly searching for tasks, constantly applying for tasks, constantly training to unlock tasks that pay more. Uh, and also there are systems of work rejection where clients can very easily reject completed work that they don't feel meets their standards or for basically any reason they wish. So workers perform a huge amount of unpaid labor. A lot of their time spent on cloud work platforms is unpaid compared to other conventional forms of work. What we've learned through our research is that Workers who are based in the global south 
perform disproportionately more unpaid labor compared to their counterparts in the global north. And that happens for complex reasons. But um, not only, you know, is the majority of cloud work value being created in the global south and accumulated in the global north, also there's more exploitation of workers in the global south on the same platforms um, compared to workers in the global north. Mm. And there was one thing that you pointed out to me, which I hadn't really looked at, was the kinds of companies that Scale is working with. So we we see them working with uh, the ride hailing app Lyft, um, the grocery delivery platform um, Instacart, but we also see them working with organizations like the US military. So I think we have to ask the question of what are the kinds of technology that is being developed by these workers um, and how how much kind of autonomy do they have when they're part of this process and they they need these wages you know all these workers they they really depend on their workers uh, on the on the income that they receive from these platforms um, and it's interesting to think about the politics of that as well yeah this is another really interesting feature so um remo tasks lists on their website some of their clients uh, so we know based on that information that they they work with um, other digital labor platforms like Lyft and Instacart, as you said. So we know that digital platform workers on uh, plat- on cloud work platforms like Remotasks are participating in the algorithmic management, in some cases, of digital platform workers on location-based platforms like Lyft, like Instacart. The majority of work that workers do on remote tasks and, and Scale's entire business is about training machine learning systems, building AI. Uh, and so those systems then we know are, are being used to um, manage and, and uh, derive value, extract value from, from the work of other gig workers. There's an interesting example, uh, this isn't on Scale and Remo Task, but on another platform, where we've heard of Uber uh, outsourcing their facial recognition, their systems of identifying and surveilling drivers to workers on CloudWork platforms. So if the algorithm fails to recognize a driver or a driver disputes that algorithm's decision about their identity based on, on their picture, that dispute will go to a cloud worker sitting on a microtask platform who will have a very limited amount of time, you know, a minute or 30 seconds to decide if the picture matches the record. We often think of, of AI as being fully automated, but I think people are becoming increasingly aware that um, AI is, is very much based on the the labor and the decisions and the guidance and the um, input of, of human workers. Yeah, and I think the fundamental question we have to ask is in exposing this hidden labor within the kind of digital infrastructure that underpin, underpins all of our lives is what are the working conditions? What is life like for these workers uh, who play a fundamental role in the functioning of these technologies? That's right, and I think the 
digital infrastructures also serve to separate and atomize workers from each other. Um, so workers are subject to the same kinds of exploitation, the same kinds of commodification, um, but there are there's an erosion of, of solidarity and of workers' structural power um, because the workers' you know relationship is with the is with the app, is with the platform, um, and workers don't often come into contact with each other um, in order to build collective power, and they're not supported to build collective power by their local regulatory frameworks because they're taking part in economic activity that happens across borders, uh, and the other workers on the platform are in many different countries, and the clients are also in many different countries. At Fair Work, we believe that all work can and should be characterised by fair pay, fair conditions, fair contracts, fair management and fair representation. Platforms ultimately have the power to improve standards and the ability to choose to. Many platforms operate in numerous countries around the world and whilst every country, every city and every worker is unique, many of the issues experienced by workers are transnational. In addition, platforms often operate across multiple countries and the practices which they employ have huge impacts on the lives of gig workers around the globe. Platforms can take a proactive approach to ensure that the work they provide is fair and decent. We're actively campaigning to improve the conditions for gig workers around the world and hold platforms to account. You can find out more at fair.work. This episode was written and produced by Robbie Warren. Our composition was by Louis Bollet's.